Hey there, Calcio fans. Welcome to episode 17 of the Italian Football Daily Podcast. I'm your host for today's episode, Joe Siracco. Follow me on Twitter at JoeAntonioC, and I'm joined with my co-host and senior editor of Italian Football Daily, Matt Santangelo, at Matt underscore Santangelo on Twitter. Thanks for joining me, Matt. Uh, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Joe. Thanks. To, uh, it's great to be on again, obviously. We wish it would have been in different circumstances, obviously, if people who are listening at this point haven't heard um, Roma bowed out of the uh, semifinal of the Champions League. Their magical run came to an end. So a little bit of a uh, disappointing, uh, and not so much the not so much in the effort, but obviously uh, in the result. I think you know uh, they did a lot. They did Italy proud going this far. You know, doing everything they were able to do despite being overlooked and kind of downplayed um, for pretty much most of this tournament. So, um, but yeah, you know, I think you know, Roma take the positives away and. Um, you know, that's kind of what where I'm at right now, personally. We'll start off, obviously, with the entertaining, uh, thrilling two-leg affair between Liverpool and Roma in the Champions League semifinal. And then we'll get to an, an equally interesting uh, Scudetto race, which is nearly coming to the end with three games left. It's been a seesaw battle, and we'll dive into that on uh, what our predictions are for the final few weeks. And uh, as a little bonus, coming out recent news this week, uh, some Azzurri news now, uh, you know, the World Cup is just over a month away. We won't be there, the Italian national team, but there is some Azzurri news uh, regarding the head coach, which we will get to at the end of the show. Uh, but we have to begin, of course, with the Champions League semifinal. Liverpool and Roma, as Matt mentioned, uh, Roma falling just short of the final after an incredible run uh, where they really... Uh, outdid themselves and made Italy proud of going so far where no one, literally no one on earth expected them to be uh, at this point and coming so close in a 6-7 aggregate final scoreline um, against uh, one of the most exciting teams in world football and, and the English giants, Liverpool. Uh, Matt, I want to get your thoughts on the game. Uh, Roma, we're, we're so close, obviously. Um, it was a pretty poor first leg uh, tactically, but they managed to claw back a couple of goals in that 5-2 first match at Anfield, and then obviously it was going to be a monumental task to perform another miracle and get a three-goal performance, three-goal win, um, like they did against Barcelona. But they tried, they gave it their all, and it was a 4-2 match. They won the game, but ultimately it just wasn't enough. Uh, and there were some controversies here as well with uh, with the VAR again, and I know this is, uh, this is almost... A very, very, unfortunately, it's a very frequent issue that we seem to be discussing every time. But uh, as the technology uh, improves or is is more becomes more mainstream, uh, these issues are going to come up. So, Matt, first, what did you think about the game and and the VAR decisions or or the lack thereof? Pardon me of the refs uh, and just what transpired in what was a crazy game. We talked before we even uh, began recording this. We were uh, chatting about you know what our initial reaction was or our kind of our. Uh, I mean, now that we had a couple hours to kind of uh, reflect on, of course, the outcome of the match, what our thoughts were, and I, I felt to myself, going into this game, Roma really needed, they needed to get everything right. They needed a perfect performance. They needed a spotless performance, if you will, in all facets of, uh, of the game, from the manager, from uh, the, you know, on the pitch, the officiating, which, again, we'll get into, and um, we have been talking about. Uh, quite quite some for uh, quite some time uh, you know over the course of all the podcasts we've done this season, and I think that's ultimately what they need. They needed everything to go right in this one, and it didn't. 
um, in the sense that you what you saw in that Barcelona game, the second leg, is that everything went right. I think the first leg you saw that Roma did have some chances. The four-one scoreline in that first leg was a little bit uh, disguising of what Roma really were able to do against a, a, a team like Barcelona and how they were, despite being 4-1 down, still in it. In that second leg, they got everything right, and especially being at home, that's, that's where they thrived. Defensively, they were sound. They were making things happen. They were forcing Barcelona to react. Um, and ultimately, they, of course, they, they ran up pulling off that magical victory over uh, Barcelona a couple weeks ago. They needed something like that in this one. And I think, again, for it to go right, for everything to go right at the second time around, it almost seemed improbable. And I think when you look at the scoreline, you know, again, 7-6, if I'm correct, and what the aggregate was over two legs, this thing was very close. And I think, you know, when you, you know, not to go too overboard here, but there were two penalties, penalty decisions or, or, or lack, lack there of penalties uh, decisions here uh, being called by the officials that really could have changed the complexion of this tie in this match, really, because if you looked at the game, you know, Roma, they weren't bad in this game. And I think Liverpool maybe made things a lot less a lot less uh, comfortable than they needed to be. Not, excuse me, they made it a little bit more comfortable than they needed to be in this one. I think, you know, again, when they scored, they scored first. I thought at that point the game was a little bit done and dusted. I thought that, you know, Liverpool had this game firmly locked, especially when you add the fact that they had an away goal now. But Milner gets a own goal, kind of a weird one. Then when Alden scores at the 25th minute and you're thinking two away goals, I think they're up maybe four goals at this point. Uh, it kind of seems like this this thing is done, but credit to Roma for, for continuing to press on. I think, you know, again, we, we we went through all these scenarios in our heads. Okay, they need four goals in 45 minutes. This is this is not happening. There's no way. And then when you throw in the fact that there was two penalty calls that not that were not given, clear cut in my opinion. Um, there was a, a handball. Um, I forgot the player of the care was kind of protecting his face. It looked like it was a little bit away from him, and it hit his hand. And then the second one was where Wojeko was actually... Rule, uh, incorrectly ruled offside, he actually wound up continuing the play, and Carius came out and actually took him down, which should have been a penalty in my opinion. Um, so when you literally kind of lumped everything in together here, the fact that Liverpool scored first, and now all of a sudden Roma really needed to kind of bring the game to them a lot more than, than what they probably wanted to. Um, then you throw in the fact that the officiating wasn't too friendly for them as well. It just felt like it, it's it was gonna it wasn't gonna happen. It wasn't their night. Um, but I think at the, at the same time, Roma fans should be very proud of the performance they put in over the course of this entire tournament. Again, topping a group with Atletico Madrid and Chelsea. Few people you actually expected them to advance out of that group. Some were saying they're gonna get a quick little uh, exit from the Champions League and a little bit of a quick entry into the Europa League. They wound up getting past Shakhtar. They wound up getting past Barcelona. And they really wound up making this thing uh, a, a hard-fought battle over two legs with Liverpool, um, You know, one of the more high-powered uh, offensive sides in, in world football today. So hats off to our Roma listeners. Um, definitely proud, to, proud of uh, Roma for what they were able to accomplish despite being overlooked, despite being uh, downplayed and um, taken lightly by many, um, you know, uh, many corners of, of uh, football media around the world. I'm not going to go too much into who, who exactly and, you know, who are maybe not as informed on Italian Calcio and what Roma have been able to do this season. 
But um, yeah, just a little bit unfortunate uh, loss, but I think it's something they could build on. Again, if uh, everything financially goes the way they need it to be, um, you know, in the summer, then they, of course, again, Monkey's been expressing himself saying that, you know, there's some possibility that they're not going to have to sell. They could kind of dictate what they want to do versus having being forced to sell some of their best players. So uh, things are looking up for Roma. This is definitely uh, something to take with them into the next season should they qualify for uh, top four. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, they fought to the bitter end, and uh, same with myself. When they let in the first goal on a, a terrible back pass from Rajon Angolan, who, in my opinion, uh, he did not have a good two legs. Um, he was really... They needed, they needed more. They need they a lot, lot out of him, but I think with him... He is still talented, but the drop-off I've seen in his fitness levels over the last like, year over year has been pretty bad, uh, and that, that's attributed to his lifestyle. Like The guy loves to party, and he's a chain smoker, and he smokes a pack a day. If you're a, a footballer, never mind any athlete, you should not be smoking that much. Uh, your lungs are going to get shot, and the guy's only 29, and he looks he, he's slower than De Rossi, and that's, just, that's saying a lot. So if I'm Roma, i got to evaluate whether or not to sell him now just because his fitness is only going to get worse. And uh, he just wasn't the, the player that they needed him to be that he was in years prior. Um, the rest of the team, I mean, they did the best that they could with what they had. They're still a pretty good team, despite what the English media here in North America say, who, quite frankly, don't they don't know a damn thing about this sport. And, they're uh, out of touch, in my so opinion. They're so out of touch, they're, and they're so, so out of touch. They're either... They're either like mentally ill or just plain stupid, but either or, um, it's just it's sickening. But and I digress. Uh, Roma with the they didn't have much in terms of financial assets, and with the way what they were able to accomplish with with that handicap is just is is amazing. Keep in mind the guys they lost and how they were when they lost these players, and you know throughout the course of the season, not only for for the Champions League but for for Serie A in general, where when people were looking at their squad saying. Oh, they lost. They sold Antonio Rudiger, who was a starting central defender, to Chelsea. They sell Mohamed Salah, one of their top players, to Liverpool. They were getting this um, the supermarket label pinned on them. And, you know, from the beginning of the season, it felt like they were going to be an underdog. Not an underdog in the sense that, oh, you know, maybe they may just barely, you know, be in the race for top four. But, but in terms of them compared to Juve, Napoli, and, and, you know, even some of these other teams... They were kind of looked at as a team, ah, Roma don't have it. They sell their top players. They can't really um, keep some of their main guys, and they're never really going to be able to make that next step. But, they, man, you know, they go from they go from possibly selling Edin Dzeko and Palmieri. Palmieri, of course, they did sell to Chelsea, to making a semifinal run where Dzeko was so influential, and he was a, a big, big factor, a big reason why they actually made this thing as close as it was. So, again, it's just crazy to think, you know, how... This season has gone for Roma, you know, you know, overlooked in the Champions League. You know, looking at their squad, maybe they don't have enough to compete and really be a force in Italy. And now all of a sudden they're in third place. They make a semifinal run. They nearly pull it off against Liverpool. And with a little bit of luck, they probably would have. I mean, you know, hats off to Di Francesco. I know I said it earlier, but I mean, you know, Di Francesco in his first season, from going from Sassuolo to Roma with this pressure of, and this is his first Champions League uh, as, as a manager, it's, it's a, Roma fans should be proud. Listen, the English media, they're going to continue to uh, have their bias. They're going to continue to uh, not, not not do their homework and kind of just really kind of spew nonsense, if you will. But Roma fans and Incaucia fans in general know what effort Roma turned in. They know what Roma are about. 
and I think that's definitely something to be proud of. Yeah, and a lot of people forget about uh, Edin Dzeko. He was on the short list last year for the Ballon d'Or. He was in the top 30. And a lot of people were asking, well, why is this guy? Yeah, he scored a lot of goals. But he is so valuable for that team. And it showed in this uh, Champions League campaign to, um, just how influential and how important he was to the team. And I was really impressed with their will, to uh, their, their, their fight and the heart that they had. Maybe they didn't have as much talent as, as Liverpool, at least offensively. But they just kept digging in, and they were fighting the whole game. And uh, Di Francesco, hats off to him. Great job as a first season. Things are only going to look up for Roma. And I kind of had to ask myself, you know, what other Italian teams besides Juventus and Roma who who were showing this kind of fight? I, I really don't see any other Italian teams putting in this kind of a display. I mean, you look at the other teams around. Uh, you have Napoli. Uh, yeah, flashy team. Yeah, they play good football, but when it comes down to it, in, in key moments, uh, they seem to always just—they don't have what it takes to to finish teams off or take that next level and, and go up to that next level and, and hit that 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 not that other gear that they really need to be considered a top team in the world. I mean, unfortunately for Napoli, yeah, they they play good and they've got a little bit of talent, but they just don't have that will or that desire to 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 be that top team. And maybe that'll change next year. Who knows? But right now, they they just don't have it. Or maybe that changed. Maybe you know. Maybe it's the first pillar, the first domino to fall for Napoli, or um, you know, you're the first thing they really want to focus on, and then they can kind of take the next step. And I think that's you know, you can agree or disagree with me on this. Is that league title? I think that's kind of been the one thing they've been chasing for so long, and in many ways, maybe on different levels, what Juventus have been chasing in terms of a Champions League. When Juve came back into the mix. You know, it was okay. Now we're going to compete for a title. Now we're going to compete for all these domestic, um, you know, cup trophies. Now, okay, now we're going to build a dynasty. Okay, now we're going to become a powerhouse where we could consistently compete for the Champions League and make deep runs. Okay, now we're going to dominate Italy. And while we're dominating Italy, we are going to try and win uh, a Champions League trophy. So maybe in us on a smaller scale, maybe this is what Napoli are thinking. And again, I don't agree with the philosophy. I don't agree with the fact that, you know, you, you stick with, you know, 14 players and you try to manage and kind of, uh, you know, you know, move your way, maneuver your way, if you will, through a season and really focus on one thing. Because when you're in a tournament like the Champions League, you know, it's a privilege. It's, 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 a, it's a tournament that you're seeing with Milan and Inter, who both have really good success in the tournament, who they would love to be in that position. So it's not something you take lightly. But maybe for Napoli, again, we'll talk about it a little bit further. Maybe Napoli's first step as growing as a team is to win the league. Now when you win the league, you get the funds, you get that reputation as we're the champions of Italy. We can't just settle on being the champions of Italy. What's the next step? What's the next goal? And the next goal, again, is pushing you know for deep runs in the Europe and, and being a continual threat um, around Europe as a top team. So I think maybe that's where Napoli are, you know, should be looking for. But again, I think we're gonna, definitely going to talk about the Scudetto race. So I just wanted to touch on that and add that before we uh, do that. Yeah, for sure, and we'll we'll discuss Napoli's flaws actually shortly, just because that's going to lead into the the Serie A fixtures. But um, I just want to end end off my point um, with the rest of the Italian teams who could potentially now that we've got the four spots back uh, next year. So the way it's looking in terms of the race, you got Lazio who will, and Roma will probably uh, finish third or f- at least fourth. But uh, Lazio is most likely at this point going to make it. Now, Lazio is a team where, you know, they, they had a decent run in the Europa League and they've got some talented players and they've got a pretty good coach. But 
with their owner Claudio Lotito and, and president president owner. That guy is just so. I mean, I don't trust that guy for a second, and he's just a disaster waiting to happen. So I don't know. They don't just don't. They and they have got a great sporting director in uh, Iliotare. So uh, for that, they've got good management and good coaching. But their owner, like when you got a, a lunatic for an owner like that, you can never be too sure. And in terms of the the Milan teams, AC Milan seven time winner, they're in no man's land. I don't even know how they're they're so irrelevant, and it's just sad to see. And I know you're a Milanista, so it, it's it's even harder for you. But they, it, I don't even know what direction they're going in to be honest, because typically they'd be the team that could rescue Italy. They used to be the team that could rescue Italy. Um, but again, like I wasn't really impressed with them in the Europa League. They looked very scared against Arsenal when they lost. Same with Napoli in the group stages this season in the Champions League. They looked scared. Uh, Lazio as well. Same thing when they were down to Salzburg when it was the going got tough. They were just they just gave up, and that's that. Well, that was the difference between Roma and Juve um, in the last round where they just didn't give up. Uh, and Roma specifically didn't give up in any of their games at all throughout the group stage, knockouts. They were in it to win it the whole time. And that's the type of mentality Italian teams need. And that's the thing that, that they're lacking other than the, those two, Roma now, and Juve who's had it for the last couple of years. But the rest, I, I don't really have much hope. Inter Milan is another team where God knows what the hell is going on with them, with their ownership situation, with the players and these rumors that they're having a mutiny and the coaches lost the room. And it's it's uh, peculiar because they, they're so talented on their day. And we'll talk about the Juve intergame when they, they were taking it to Juve in 10 men. If they're capable of that performance, why can't they do that every week? And if, if they were to have a similar gutsy performance like that, they could arguably beat some of these teams in Europe, even at the knockout stage level. But I just don't know what they're missing that, that could be put together. But whatever it is that these teams are missing, they better figure it out fast because Serie A really needs to rebound right now because uh, the, the pressure's on right now. There's some a little bit of attention coming back to the league, and we can't fall out on our faces like we did after Inter won in 2010. Uh, and we, we lose years. Uh, you lose almost a generation of fans and, and coverage by, by making these critical mistakes. Now, eight years ago, it was the money scenario. Now I think um, the teams are better positioned financially. Serie A actually recently, they actually made a profit for the first time in 17 years, believe it or not. Uh, so I think, and attendances are up as well. TV rights are up uh, in terms of figures. So now's the time to really kind of change the dynamic. We jumped the Bundesliga back up to third in the coefficient. And the Premier League is very close in terms of the ranking. Obviously, La Liga is way ahead. No one's going to catch them for now. So... I know the Serie A teams really have to think it through as a collective and try to you know really increase um, that kind of reputation that they have, or else they're not going to get these calls like the Spanish teams always seem to get these calls in these UEFA tournaments or the English teams too. Uh, you know those penalty calls. If Serie A, if Roma had a better reputation, it's like a it's like a call in basketball in the NBA. The star players are always going to get that call from the ref, uh, and you know Roma just doesn't have that prestige to get those calls. Juve, even though they're a big club, don't get the prestige to get those calls in the dying minutes against Real Madrid. You know, unfortunately, that's just the way football works. And that's why I, if I'm a Roma fan, I wouldn't complain about the penalties because those things happen. And that's just the case of reputation. Now, before I, now before we get to the city, I'll just add my one point um, that I mentioned in an earlier podcast a few episodes ago, but just on the way the Champions League is played, the style of play you need to win in the Champions League. Um, I've noticed as far as I can remember of watching you know, European fixtures, 
you know, I remember very briefly, I was very young when, when Italy was dominating in the 90s, they were dominating all the UEFA competitions. And, and at the turn of the century in the 2000s, a lot of the teams, you know, tried to emulate that kind of style of solid defensive um, structure and tactical knowledge up until, you know, the late 2000s, 20, early 2010s. That was the blueprint to win. Uh, the blueprint to win was to play defensive, uh, just like the Italian teams trying to emulate them. And that's how you would succeed, grind out wins over aggregate scores. Now, since the turn of this decade, uh, and especially the last few years, it's been a very run-and-gun uh, kind of style. We've seen speed and pace be key elements to victory. A lot of games are going into these big square lines, like today's was 6-7. These are high-scoring games now. They're not those grinded-out um, games like they used to be 10, 15 years ago. So I think the Italian teams really have to look at this and say, okay, maybe we have to change something collectively on a, on a macro level and kind of change the way we teach these technical skills to our players and the coaches might have to adjust because it's not just tactics as well. It's also on, on technical skills as well. And you could see how Roma was getting dominated. Uh, you know, I mean, for the team that they have, they did really well. But you could see the, the pace between the two teams was so – there's a huge disparity uh, between these two teams. Like those guys were I – mean, when you have Federico Fazio and – Manolas on a, in a foot race against Salaf, uh, Firmino and uh, and Mane. Oh my God! Like you know, I get heart attacks just just seeing that because like they they're getting shredded on the wings. Uh, Kolarov, although he played his heart out, he's just he's not he's not a star, and he's his lack of pace was really evident. They got burned pretty badly, especially in the first leg. That was just devastating. Florenzi, I think, was the most he had the more most eye opening performance, and not in a good way. I think that was kind of disappointing for me because a guy. Like Florenzi, who who you know, over the past several years, he's kind of been going back and forth between positions and what his true role is for Roma. And I think when you see him turn in these types of performances at right back, um, it's a little bit alarming. And I think you know, again, it, we still have this idea. We still are asking ourselves. And again, you can even apply this to the Italian national team, which obviously needs all the help it can get in terms of, you know, tactics and, and personnel and getting an actual uh, skeleton that's, you know, s you know, suitable to kind of move forward is where some of these guys are, are best fit. And I think again, for a guy like Florenzi, who, you know, um, you know, he's a, he's a, a Roman, he's born, he's a he's a Roman. And for, you know, a guy like him to not come up with a strong performance over two legs it's kind of disappointing for Roma fans and I think I've seen several things on Twitter um, you know about that specifically how you know alarming the performance was but just getting back to real quick you know what, what you said about you know the the past and present of, of Italian football and how the philosophies have changed what happened with the Italian teams and again again the past that's different is we were so accustomed to seeing you know, stout defensive teams and whether whether it was sexy or not, whether it was easy on the eyes and nice and, and, and appealing for the non-Calcio fan to watch was irrelevant. It's what brought the most success. And now all of a sudden, when Calcio and, and some of the main teams like Milan and Inter specifically have fallen off, it looks, and again, you can correct me and correct me on this, I think part of that has attributed to the downfall of Italian football and their philosophies that have been so successful in the past, and even for the Italian national team, right? So when you look at the teams, now obviously you're, okay, you take out Milan and Inter from the equation. Now, okay, well now how does Italian calcio stay up and stay relevant and stay um, interesting for the non-calcio fan? You're seeing how 
we felt recently we're, we're playing catch up. We know the type of quality of football we have in this in Italy, but we feel like we're playing catch up. We feel like we had to conform to the English styles, the uh, Spanish styles, and try to be more attacking, be more aggressive, you know, do all these different things. You know, what we're seeing, you notice how much attention Maurizio Sarri's Napoli got, you know, even across Europe, not just in Italy. Oh, uh, you know, the style of play is so nice, you know, the gifts, the videos, yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, Joe, and again, this is, I'm not trying to, whoever's ever a Napoli fan listening, who will be listening, um, I'm not trying to call anybody out. I'm, this is just what I see is it needs to pursue, produce results, though. People have always said, well, you know, they, they got good, they got the points and they got the good football, you know, just because they didn't win any trophies doesn't mean they weren't a success. I'm sorry, but if you have that philosophy, I can't. I can't live with that. I think in, a, in competition, in any competition, any sport, it's – the the victor ultimately de, you know goes down is just to kind of writes history. I I don't know who the exact quote you know right uh, you know the person who said that is, but the victor ultimately decides history or makes history or defines the history, if you will. So you know we're looking down the line. People are people going to say Napoli played great football from 2014 to 2018? How many did they win the trophies? Did they? get that did they you know that possession that style of play that trend you know that trend that transcendental transcendental style did that get them the result but what i'm saying is it's got to be both it's got to be what we saw with roma was the effort the passion they're playing their style the all these different things it's got to be yes we play attractive football yes we can do all these different things but it's got to be everything everything has to come into play in order to win trophies to be consistently recognized um and 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 to get italian football back to being prominent and and get it away from these these you know these you know to call them idiots i guess maybe is the best word but um idiots who are misinformed they're not done their homework and to get break that stigma that they're currently facing so that's really ultimately i think what time culture needs to do it's it's growing it's going to take time but it's it the results got to be there too along with the style along with the aesthetics of everything so that's just my take and it's i got a little deeper and a little bit more i need to think a little bit more whoever's listening but you get what i'm saying it's got to be well, that's what we do yeah. on this podcast and we just yeah. make you think <laughs> yeah, it's got. I want to see both. I want to see if if a team like Napoli, just to short, if a team like Napoli had this style of play and all these different things, and they were able to do, you know, play play pretty well at times in in Europe, and they were able to win the title and consistently compete for titles, consistently be a threat in Europe. Now people would look to Italy. Okay, who's the next Maurizio? Sorry, who is the next Napoli? What are what philosophies? What are people doing? What are coaches doing? What does everything look like? What's the infrastructure look like in Italy? And how are they getting managers like Maurizio Sarri to come up this way and do such, um, you know, changes and kind of, you know, alter methods of, of tactics and, and, and do what he's doing? That's what people would look at. And I think, again, it's got to be not just style, but it's also got to be results. Exactly. And um, again, like the, we that's what cost us the, the fourth uh, position in Europe. Um, because we couldn't keep up with the times and the game is changing, we need to change with it or be stuck left behind. It took us, uh, it's it's almost eight years for us to get back to where we where we used to be, and I don't want to see that again for, for our league. 
and our calcio again so we have to get with the times it's the speed honestly this is a topic that's been talked about a lot in italy as well the pace of the league of Serie A as well and the back passes uh to the goalie that has to stop because no other team does that it really like rarely juventus do this do this every game and it just pisses me off as a fan because it doesn't work and you get caught especially with older center backs and a 40 year old buffon in the back that's just looking for trouble and same thing with uh with nangolan one missed pass, a back pass, and a, a speedy team is just going to kill you. So for Italians, uh, you know, coaching and, and for technical skills, let's teach our kids and the players the technical skills. Let's eliminate that damn back pass because we don't have the libero anymore. We don't have that. Um, the goalie cannot pick it up with his hands anymore, and they can't really handle the ball, Italian keepers. Just cut that stuff out and uh, and just focus on speed, on fitness, and on nutrition as well, or else we're going to get left behind. So... I'm hoping that uh, Roma can be an example for that and that we can build on this uh, really great performance for them and we can only look forward to uh, to, the, to the next Champions League season. Um, in the meantime, uh, we have our uh, Serie A season wrapping up. Um, very close race. It's been back and forth. Since our last podcast, We uh, there was the Juve-Napoli game and we won't really get into that because we all know the results, but it was a big win for Napoli, uh, which is an understatement took them up to to one point difference and on this past weekend we saw Juve win in a gutsy 3-2 effort two goals in about a minute um right at the end against a 10-man inter who had fought so valiantly probably the best game of the season um but Juve just you know you talk about results they don't play good they haven't played well all season but they get the results and now it's a four-point gap uh, on Napoli who lost 3-0 to Fiorentina on Sunday um red card from Koulibaly and then after that, um, it just appeared like they had given up. And I think fatigue has caught up with, with the Partenope in Naples. Um, a, a Simeone hat-trick uh, did them in, and that could be the final blow for them. It's now a four-point gap at the top between Juventus and Napoli. And we have three games left to go. Do Napoli have a chance with three games left? Uh, because they do still have a slightly easier schedule, but that was a big loss uh, against Fiorentina on Sunday. I mean, for me, I, I think four points, you know, to kind of make that that comeback again. I just again, especially with the fact that you you came off that 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 high of a goal so late in the game, like Koulibaly had against Juve, to put them back one point, um, just one point behind them. Those are the victories at this point of the season where you really got to take with and run. And what I mean by that is is run off another victory, continue to build, continue to build, and put the pressure on it, the the teams the team above you. To continue to uh, you know pr- get results as well, and I think that's the biggest difference for me with Juve and Napoli this year. Aside from the fact um, that I think obviously I've said this many times before that Juve are the only team in Italy that has um, two teams, two squads who can compete and pretty much keep things um, in order, if you will. Again, with the exception of a couple of players, if you look at the team for Juve. Juve had plenty of injuries this year at different spells, and they have really had to adapt. Uh, Allegri had to, have to adapt his formation, um, you know, putting players in certain positions. I mean, again, he put Alexandro as a left winger. Quadrado was injured a couple of times. Bernardeschi's been injured. Iguain was injured. Dybala was injured. All these players were injured at different spells, yet somehow Juve were able to keep um, either keep pace with Napoli or kind of dethrone them at the top altogether. And that just goes to show you the difference between the two teams, right? I think a guy like uh, Maurizio Sarri, who, again, most, again, people who watched Calcio uh, this year, 
they were looking. They 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 knew that he would have to rotate. He would have to use his bench and use all the components he has in order to win a title. And I think you know it's fascinating to read. You know, go back on the comments that uh, Giaccarini made. Um, of course, he was at um, Napoli, and he, I think he's a Kievo Verona right now on loan. He said, you know, he, he, he you know he wished he would have gotten more opportunity, and I think that's Maurizio. Sorry, he tends to fall in love too much with the same guys, and ultimately that sometimes affects him. Um, and that's affecting Napoli as a team from getting that next step or, you know, again, being able to possibly win the title this year. And for a guy like Giaccarini to say that's amazing because he has played for Juve um, and, he, again, he had a little bit of a brief spell for Napoli. So he kind of knows what it takes in, uh, you know, to a degree, what it, be, what it takes to win a title. So, again, when you look at that, I think that's kind of what the difference has been, I think, when... Along with the fact that, that, you know, when Juve have needed a win, they've managed to get it. And I think credit to them is that when they fell to Napoli so late, at home, by the way, not, not on the road, at home, and they were able to bounce back um, against Inter. Again, you know, maybe some controversy mixed in there, whatever the case is, and get a result. That shows you what team that Juve is. It's not how, how you get defeated. It's how you respond to defeat and all these different things. And I think that's what Juve have done better this year. Of course, aside from uh, you know, having a little bit of a deeper squad and Allegri just pulling the right strings when he needs to to get you know, the results and to uh, possibly win another title. I think Napoli has a pretty good bench, but uh, Sarri doesn't play those guys. I mean, defensively, they've got nobody behind Koulibaly and Albiol, who should not really be a starter, in my opinion. Tonelli can't hack it. He's he's a decent. Tonelli is a third division but... player, and you know, quite frankly, sorry. And it's it sucks that Gulam was injured. He could have really made a, a difference. But I and mean, Mario Rui, Ram Rui started off good, and now he's kind of fallen off. Yeah, so. I bet I mean, again, that just goes back to my depth, though. That goes back to my depth. Is that for, at times this year, Juve have been able to call on Lichtensteiner, who although is um, obviously you know likely to leave, you saw what you know he did against Tottenham. He comes in off the bench. And he gets a and gets an assist. So like that's my point is that when you have guys that you know, Allegri has been able to trust in his bench a lot more, and he's pretty much looking at his team and saying, "I'm going to use every one of these guys in order to get a title and to make this happen." There's a reason and a purpose for every player I have on this roster, and I think that's kind of been the difference between the two teams. Is that you know you look at what Napoli have; they have a very talented squad. They have some guys on the bench. They have so many good midfielders. Uh, Diawara, who plays occasionally, obviously Jorginho, Hamšík, Zielinski. Zielinski is one of the most talented so young players talent in Europe. In and why the hell is he not being played? Diwara is one of the most talented youngsters in Europe. Why aren't you playing the guy? Why are you not playing Milik earlier than uh, than you had to when he when he wasn't uh, when he was recovering from injury? When you have two three little gnomes up front uh, that aren't tall, when you need a tall guy, I don't get it. Like he's for all Sadi has done, and he's he's really revolutionized the way they played, but. He's like Conte. He's so stubborn in his choices uh, for his lineup. It ultimately, that's going to cost him the title. You ran your guys into the ground, and it doesn't help that your movie producer president, who lives in a fantasy film world, doesn't spend any money either. Uh, that doesn't help as well. And I, I really feel bad for Napoli because, as a, and this is coming from a Juve fan, I honestly would have wanted to see them win just because it would have been you know the party of the century, but... I'm sorry if you if you're gonna have that small town mentality, you you can't be considered a champion. Um, you just don't have that mentality. And Juve, for as bad as they played, they have that mentality, and that you know it's in their DNA to win this this league, and that's why they're most likely going to do it. Now it's not over, but most most probably, I think psychologically, I think I think they've got it. But 
That's the difference between the two teams. And you even saw that mentality in the Champions League. Again, they fell out to you know, Real Madrid, but being down that that badly in a second leg, and all of a sudden they come back and they score three goals. Like you look at it and you're saying, okay, like Juve can go into the Bernabeu against you know, Real Madrid and make it a game out of nothing when people looking at them and saying that they're out. Like, I think that's, again, that's a mentality thing. We've talked about it so many times at different podcasts, but when you look at everything, it's a collective, there's a collective reason, there's a, a collective group of reasons why Juve are at the top of the table and Napoli aren't. Um, and in my opinion, you, you, I think Juve are going to win the title. Obviously, they're up four right now. And they got, again, I think they got Roma this weekend, if I'm correct. Um, and you said Napoli have a little bit of an easier schedule. But I think overall, Juve, I think they, they just have it, they have that it factor domestically, I think, to kind of get things done when they need to get done. It may not be great looking. It may not have all the goals and all these different things. But what they're able to do is get the results when they need to um, and, and pull the right strings. You know, Allegri is able to you know, make the right decisions in the game to win. And I think that's kind of the difference as well. And that's what's really been the whole top talking point about Saudi is that when we saw them early in the season, everyone was saying, yeah, but is he going to rotate? Yeah, but is he going to? Is that going to be what do, does him in and ultimately prevents Napoli from being uh, champions? And I think that's kind of contributed to it as well. Is that you know they go from bowing out of the Coppa Italia, oh, okay, we're only focusing on the title. Now if they bow out of the Champions League, okay, then they go to the Europa League, oh, we're only focusing on the title. If you're only focusing on the title, something has to kind of signal in his head to say this is our best. A shot at winning the title. If I, my opinion, if they don't win it this year, you got Hamshik who's getting another year older. You don't know how much longer you're going to be able to keep this core intact. Like the mentality should by by default be there to win, to chase every possible game, to make all the right decisions. And I, it's just astonishing to me why he's still not backing off. That at some point you got to say, this is our year. Like. You know what I'm saying? I don't know how to explain it, but I think you you would look at, you know, in previous years, again, Roma were kind of in there. Napoli would hang around a little bit and then eventually fall off. But when you're looking at Napoli, you're saying, this is the year, like, we got to go for it. We got to do all the right things. And I think that's kind of disappointing to see a team like Napoli because I do want to take them as, as, obviously, I'm a Milan fan. And again, I'm not trying to play sides here and saying I want them to beat Juve. But if you get a team like Napoli with, that has that, that, notoriety to a degree on the European level as playing a, you know such a, a fantastic brand of football if they're able to win a title people will look at Italy in a different way in my opinion saying this is the team that dethroned Juve and ended their six-year run now who else is going to come in their play what what more can Napoli do and I think it could kind of be a domino effect and kind of help uh, Calcio get back to where it needs to be but if you don't win the title I just don't think it's going to have that same impact in my opinion you're spot on there and you know imagine if Roma had made the the Champions League final and Napoli dethroned Juve I think finally maybe those analysts on those networks could probably stop dreaming about Stoke City in the rain and maybe start living their lives and actually see the world out of you know get their heads out of their and start seeing things other than the world but unfortunately that's it looks like Juve is going to be a seventh straight. I mean, they've got Bologna this week. Then they have Roma away in the Olimpico, which I think they'll they'll probably lose or tie. Uh, to be honest, I don't think they're they'll win that one. But I don't think they're going to drop any points against Bologna and then Verona on the last day at home. I really doubt it. I don't think they're they're that kind of team. I mean, they they showed the fight um, against Inter and credit to Inter again for being two one up and then Juve turning the game around in a minute uh, right at the end. 
they just have that kind of quality, those in, that individual talent. Unfortunately, they haven't been able to play well aesthetically this whole year, but they've been able to win on talent and experience. That's that's their formula. And I think one of the biggest other things with Napoli is that when plan A doesn't go according to plan, if you will, for for sorry in terms of his tactics, his formation, everything like that. When everything is not, when the machine's not running the way it should. I don't see where he's able to make that adjustment tactically away from his normal plan. And, you know, you know what I'm saying? I think we've seen it with Allegri where he, sometimes he goes three out the back. Sometimes he goes four. Sometimes he plays two strikers up front. And, you know, Dybala in, in, in the hole as like a playmaker number 10. We see the changes he's able to make and the adjustments he's able to make in order to get results, whether it be impressive results or whether it be sloppy results, results that win titles versus what... What Sari is doing, it almost seems like if this doesn't work, and that I don't know what else to do to win. That's sometimes what it feels because in some of the defeats they've had this year, that's kind of what's been the plan, right? A 3 0 defeat to Fiorentina. Again, Fiorentina, obviously, they've been through quite a bit this year, um, you know, with everything that happened with Davide Astori, but at home, they're obviously a better side, in my opinion. So when you see a team go lose, like Napoli chasing a title, fall that badly at the end of the season, you wonder, okay, well, why aren't they able to adjust like at halftime and make the things that they know change the things they need to change in order to get the results in certain fashions that that Juve do? And I think that's also something you need to look at as well is that is Sari really just fixated on one style of play and if it doesn't go that way, he can't adjust. And I think that's kind of what's playing in my mind is is how that will translate if should he go to England. Can he be tactically um, flexible and do all these different things week to week. That's that that comes into play because if it's all fine and dandy when the football is working to your plan and to your liking and everyone's you know gravitating towards it and applauding it and praising it. But when it doesn't and you don't get results, then what do people say? What's everyone's reaction? What do you do? How do you respond? Like look at Di Francesco in the Champions League. Um, yeah, they were getting blown out five nil at Anfield, but he made a few adjustments putting Perotti in and Sheik. And they got two goals at the end that really gave them life. But that's why Di Francesco is a great coach um, because he's been able to adjust in game. And even in, he's been able to prepare in, in the second legs of games to make these incredible comebacks because he's he likes he can change his style. And it's not like Roma have a deeper roster necessarily than Napoli. It's just if Di Francesco is able to adapt and Sarri doesn't. And I don't know why that is. And maybe he's an overrated coach. I don't know. I can't say that. I think he's done a good job, but if you can't adapt and, and change up, if you don't have a plan B, um, you're too predictable. Everyone knows what style of play Napoli plays. They play the same thing every game. High pressing, when you um, you know passing, short passes. That's that's their style. And what you know, once you, you can neutralize that, because hey, by the way, guys, we have technology. We have video replay. We have video video um, footage uh, that we look at in the in the room during our practices, so we can see what you do. And if you don't change it up, you're, you're not going to win. We'll we'll neutralize that. So I don't know if they're going to even keep this core. Who knows if he goes. But, I mean, it's been a great run for Napoli anyways. Um, and I'd, some pundits are saying, oh, they've already won because they play the better football and they've they've achieved so much. You didn't win anything. if you, Like you said earlier, Matt, if you don't win a trophy, it doesn't mean anything because nobody remembers second place. It's got to go. It's got to. They go hand in hand. When everyone looked at, you know, Italy at the World Cup, too defensive. Oh, they they didn't score a lot of goals. All these different things. But what they did was they had their own style that worked, and that ultimately made them champions. And no, who who is saying anything? Is anyone going to say anything about that? It works. It their their style worked, and it got them to the promised land. That's what Napoli 
in my opinion, in order to get remembered and to be, in my opinion, a success, they need to put the style, they need to put the actual brand itself with the success in the form of a trophy. That's my, that's that's just my opinion. That's how I say it. And that's why Italy has four stars and England have been holding L's for 50-something years. So that's that just tells you right there. Um, uh, so speaking of actually Italy, we'll, we'll get on to our, our last point. I think we'll wrap up the Serie A in a, in a future podcast uh, just because there's still three rounds left and you never know. But I think we can agree it's, it's shaping up... Um, to be that Juventus seventh straight title, and although this has been the closest season um, in this kind of dynasty that Juventus have had, this has been the closest it's ever been. So it has been a heck of a year, and the Champions League race as well has kind of been confirmed a little bit uh, because of Inter's loss and Lazio won. Uh, it was like a four point gap. Now it's gonna be tough for Inter to get back in that fourth spot, but uh, I think Lazio have a, a slightly tougher schedule. Um, they might actually even face each other but um yeah I, I don't know if inter has what has enough left in the tank to to go on and catch them so it might we might see the two roman teams in the champions league for the first time since earlier in the century so that that would be interesting but we'll leave the race up uh, there's still plenty to be decided uh in the next couple of weeks uh let's move on to a little bit of national team news very briefly uh there's been a report this week that uh roberto mancini um has agreed to become the new Commissario Tecnico, the uh, coach of Italy, after Ancelotti reportedly, Carlo Ancelotti, uh, turned the offer down. Um, for me personally, I don't know what to think of, of this decision, if it's true. It hasn't been set in stone yet, obviously. There's been no pen to paper just yet, but I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about this decision uh, for Roberto Mancini. Yes, he is a, a coach who has won league titles in Italy and in England. Um, a great player in his own right, and you know he's he's had success. He's won trophies as a coach, but he's the type of guy I always remember him as a guy who loves drama and always seems to bring drama to his teams. And we all know that that's the last thing that Italy needs right now. And his tactics, I don't really know what to say of them because he didn't never really had his own formula, his own set system. Even though he did have success, he wasn't really known. He wasn't like a as a tact- like known as like a master tactician, right? Yeah, like a Pep Guardiola has his tiki taka and. And, you know, Marcello Lippi had his, his schemes and his, the way he wanted his players to play. Uh, Mancini didn't really have an identity for his team. So that's and that's something that Conte did have in, in the last uh, go-round when he was in charge for the Euros. So, I mean, is it better than Ventura? Hell yes. Um, so I'm happy about that. They got a coach who's actually won something. Um, but I don't know. I will have to see how this plays out because... It remains to be seen if he, who his call-ups will be, if he'll try new players. Because if it's going to be the same old trash, then there's no reason for any of us to be watching this team anymore. Well, I think with Mancini, again, I, uh, I tweeted something out, uh, I believe it was yesterday, I think, um, that it, I don't think it's that bad of an appointment in the sense that, again, at least a guy like, to your point, Mancini has accomplished things um, in the top, top flight of football. Obviously at Inter, uh, Manchester City as well. Um, I think with him, at least, I, I, I could see him being a manager that, because I, you know, I forgot who actually tweeted, I think it was Rocco, uh, you know, your buddy Rocco in Toronto. Oh, Catanachona. You can follow him at Catanachona. <laughs> yeah, he's got some good tweets as well, aside from football opinions. He's actually got some really funny things that he shares, so uh, I'll just keep it at that. But no, but he was t- pretty much telling me that, you know, he, he really isn't that convinced. He thinks um, that 
he's a guy that's you know players are going to underperform under him and you know there's he also obviously said I think this is a little bit you know overboard but that Italy won't qualify for World Cup 2022 which I again that's so much down the line that I'm not even focusing on that I'm more focused on um, you know, 2020 Euro and qualifying for that. But I think a guy like Lucy, Mancini, if you're not going to be able to get Ancelotti and some of these other managers right now, again, I think a guy like Mancini, who knows, maybe maybe he's able to have some success um, internationally when with you know when he's able to kind of pick the players. Again, there's some certain managers that people look at um, as, you know, okay, they're a club manager. They, they, they like the day-to-day grind. And I think Conte has touched upon that quite a bit. He likes being around the team often. Same thing with Ancelotti. I think that's part of the reason why maybe he denied it, um, maybe among many other things. But when you look at a guy like Mancini, maybe Mancini is one of those guys that is able to do both and have success at doing both. Now, am I saying that Mancini is a long-term solution to the bench? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that maybe he's a guy who can bridge the gap. Maybe he can get something back on track here. Maybe he, who knows, maybe he picks the right players or he picks a, a, a respect, respectable group and he's able to, you know, qualify for Euro and make a deep and make a good run and now all of a sudden okay like maybe Italy has something maybe Italy's back on track to a degree and they're able to kind of get out of this funk that they're in obviously not qualifying for a World Cup seems catastrophic for Italy who you know when you think World Cup there are you know, obviously four trophies you are you're, you you expect to see them every four years so when they're not in it it's obviously very alarming and the obviously there's many things that have went wrong having said that I think if Mancini is able to kind of get this thing back on track, he's able to uh, pull the right strings, I think, you know, maybe he's a stopgap option who does a decent job, and then someone else comes in, maybe an Ancelotti, maybe someone else down the line, maybe like an Allegri, or maybe when he has a couple years spell in maybe England, I'm not saying he's going to England, but you get the point, someone who can, you know, kind of bring this thing further, because again, I just think that, you know, there's a lot of managers who don't want to step into such a difficult spot right now, again, it's not easy coaching the national team in this position when you don't qualify for a World Cup, but with Mancini stepping aside or poorly stepping aside um, as Zenit uh, manager, maybe this is a good opportunity for him to, uh, you know, leave his mark in Italy and, and kind of, you know, reverse this reputation that he does have as being a manager who doesn't really get the most out of his players. And we can only hope as Azzurri fans, again, this is not confirmed at the time of recording. Uh, this is just speculation. There's a very good chance that he will be named coach. Um, and if he is, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, and you know, look on it positively, and uh, then we'll go from there because we can't get any lower than we are now. So, um, you know, bring it on. Just as any change is good uh, at this stage. And that wraps up uh, episode 17 of the Italian Football Daily podcast. Uh, stay tuned for all uh, all our material, uh, our articles and posts uh, on our Twitter page at uh, Italian FD for all the latest news for the national team. Uh, for Serie A and the upcoming transfer season as well. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, great stuff planned out for this summer, uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, for myself, Joe Siracco, at Joe Antonio C. You can follow me on Twitter. And, of course, uh, for Matt uh, Santangelo, at Matt underscore Santangelo on Twitter as well. Give him a follow as well. And, again, um, rate us, subscribe on iTunes. Uh, give us some feedback, whatever you guys uh, think we should do. Should, who should we bring on as a guest? Uh, what should we discuss send us in your questions when we tweet out uh, we'd love to hear from you guys and we do it for for you guys and for the love of calcio we want to see calcio go back to uh, il campionato più bello del mondo the most beautiful championship in the world and we, we really want to prove those pundits wrong 
and maybe make them see the light of, of just what really special thing that we have here in, in Italy. Uh, so for myself, Joe Antonio Cianini, signing off. Uh, take care, everyone, and thank you for joining us here on this episode of the Italian Football Daily Podcast. For Matt Santangelo, I'm Joe. Take care, and ciao for now. Thank you.